Welcome to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and award-winning veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, welcome, everybody. Delighted to have you with us on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We are here via podcast as well as over the air on the radio and the award-winning Docs in a Pod podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, is with us. And as always, we are so pleased to have Tamika join us. Dr. Perry is a physician at Wellman at Redland Square in Dallas, completed her master's degree at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, earned her medical degree at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, and also earned her master's in public health from the University of North Texas. Dr. Perry's undergraduate degree, she will proudly tell you, is from Prairie View A&M University. Dr. Perry is board certified <laughs> in family medicine by the American Osteopathic Board of Family Medicine. And when you ask her, she will also tell you she loves to travel. Tamika, great to be with you again. And I've missed you, Ron. It's great to be with you guys again also. I do love to travel, and I heard through the grapevine that our guest today is also a fellow traveler. Well, we're going to introduce her with that brief mention by you. Dr. Cello Belmonte is a physician at Wilmot at Northwest 410, located in San Antonio. She earned her medical degree from Turo University in Nevada, in Henderson, Nevada, completed her residency in family medicine at Heritage Valley Health Systems in Beaver, Pennsylvania. Dr. Belmonte is board certified in family medicine and a member of the American Osteopathic Association. She also, like you, loves to travel and has three kids. And Dr. Belmonte, great to have you with us on Docs in a Pod. Yes, hi. Glad to be here and be speaking with you guys. What brought you to San Antonio? I guess our love for traveling. <laughs> but no, really, um, my husband is actually a physician. Uh, we both met in medical school. And as I said, we're kind of more adventurous. That's why we ended up in Pennsylvania for residency. He's from the West Coast. And we said, you know what? I mean, the, the world is ours to explore. And we kind of just wanted to look for a family medicine program that will train us the greatest, interviewed at several programs in the East Coast, and they were even like, are you guys sure you're going to move here? Um, but we liked the program there, matched, um, enjoyed the three years that we were out there in Pittsburgh, decided to move back to the West Coast. So we went to medical school in Nevada. So we practiced there for several years and then started to have children. And we said, huh, okay, let's find a more family-friendly city. And actually, I worked with um, an Optum company there at Southwest Medical Associates, so kind of had some co-workers who knew about the WellMed here in San Antonio and said, yeah, let's try it out. So been here five years and yep, <laughs> here practicing. Well, it's great to have you. Great to yeah. have you with us. One of the things that uh, you wanted to talk about and is so important is the question of shingles. And for those who don't know, you don't want to get it. Dr. No. Belmonte, talk to us, the 411 yeah. on shingles. Not at all. So shingles. And as I said, shingles, I'm sure everybody has heard it. Everybody who's listening has heard it and probably has met somebody who knows about it um, because it's very common. And one out of, one in three people can get shingles. That's how common it is and very commonly seen in patients 50 years and older. 
even though we can still see it in younger patients, especially if they're immunocompromised or weak. Um, so a lot of patients come in with possible rash, and and it's actually sometimes it's so common that some patients say, oh, I want to make sure it's not shingles. And we always say, why is it important? It's just not a rash because of the possible complications of it. And complications like? The most important, the most, I guess, um, complication that can affect a quality of life is what we call the post-herpetic neuralgia. So let me just go back a little bit, as I said, just for, for a diagnosis with patients. So most patients present with some burning or itching, something like feeling differently on their skin, usually in one side of their body. Um, and they come in, usually no rash yet. I've actually seen patients who initially comes in with like, oh, I have this thigh pain, leg pain, and then they say happening for two, three days, and then I examine them, and I look at the rash, and I said, hey, have you seen that you have a rash here? And they're like, nope, I didn't know, and then ended up with shingles. So some, um, we do know that the pain starts a couple of days before the rash comes in, so patients may come to the office with a rash already or sometimes without it. And sometimes when I see patients with just pain and can't think of anything else, I tell them, um, it may be shingles, watch for a rash, call us in a couple of days um, because it may be shingles. Um, but as I said, the importance of it diagnosing appropriately in a timely manner is because we want to prevent the complications of it, which is the most common and debilitating is post-herpetic neuralgia. All right, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. But I want to let folks who may have just joined us know you are listening to Docs in a Pod, the award-winning podcast available wherever you get your podcast. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, and we're talking with Dr. Cello Belmonte. She's a physician at Wellman at Northwest 410 in San Antonio, Texas. We're talking about shingles, and if you are over 50, you may be at risk. If you had chickenpox as a kid, uh, does that put you at higher risk? Yes. Well, the thing is, so the virus that causes shingles is the same virus that causes chickenpox. So if you've had chickenpox as a kid, what happens is the virus stays in your system. And as we get older, if our immune system gets weak, it can be reactivated and become shingles. So the people at risk are the people who've had chickenpox. Um, and, and another question that's a good question is patients ask, okay, can I have shingles if I never had chickenpox? And the answer is no. So patients who never had chickenpox or who has been vaccinated with a vaccine, the varicella vaccine, should not be at risk for shingles. And a lot of patients also ask, am I contagious when I have shingles? And we always tell patients, if you have shingles, you are contagious if you're around a person who never had chickenpox. Because now you can give them that virus and cause another chickenpox or somebody who's not vaccinated. So usually younger kids or pregnant women can yes. be at risk. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Belmonte makes a great point. So if you're an individual with shingles, you can give someone chickenpox. Now, there, if you have chickenpox itself, there's a higher chance that you're going to pass chickenpox on. But be aware that if grandpa has that shingles rash and the, the little baby isn't vaccinated, the baby can get chickenpox from that shingles rash. So just, you know, something to be well aware of. Um, and shingles hurts like the Dickens. Um, and like Dr. Belamonte was saying that that hurt 
can last beyond the rash. And that's where the shingles virus is damaged to nerves and you get this relentless pain all the time. And that's why the, the vaccination is super duper important. Now, we haven't talked about that yet, so let's move on to that. But first, uh, if you actually get shingles, how do you treat it? Is there a way uh, using some magic, powerful pain med to knock the pain out, Dr. Belmonte? So we do have, um, so when a patient is here with shingles, we, we put them on an antiviral. Um, so uh, we want them to be started immediately as much as we can, I think within 48 hours, because then that kind of helps, you know, replicate the vi- stop the replication of the virus. So there is antivirals that we would recommend. And yes, we would help some pain medications, um, you know, sometimes usually just regular anti-inflammatory Tylenol in the beginning. But if the pain lasts longer, then we have to do some medications like an- nerve pain medications. Typically, like gabapentin is a common medication or pregabalin, Lyrica, that we use for this. And also, there's some topical therapy that's recommended, like capsaicin cream um, or lidocaine patches to help patients with the pain that could be associated with it, especially long-term pain. My dog is on gabapentin. (laughs) Interesting. Like neuropathy, your dog? Yes. Yeah, it works really well. You know, she has uh, severe leg pain, hip pain, and gabapentin... uh, has enabled her to uh, really continue to function. Oh, how old is she? She's uh, probably 16 or 17. She was a rescue. Oh. Yeah, but doing well. Thank God for gabapentin, right? Yeah. 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 So, and it's generic, so should that be a problem with God? <laughs> right, right. 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 It's, it's very affordable. You're right. Yeah. So, Dr. Belmonte, uh, the, the key to this, and we see the ads on TV all the time, get vaccinated. Yes. Talk to us about that because there's an older vaccine, a newer vaccine. Yes. Uh, so there's an older vaccine. And actually, so that is, we actually, when this new vaccine came about, the Shingrix, we told patients, even if you've had the Zosta vaccine in the past, that studies show that you need a better protection with the Shingrix, that we're telling patients to update themselves with the Shingrix. And yes, every patient that come in, so it's actually approved for 50 years and older. It's a two-shot vaccine um, for the Shingrix. You get it at your the first shot and then two to six months after. I tell patients, as I said, most of them know somebody who've got shingles. The people who are actually interested the most in getting a vaccine are the ones who know somebody who has suffered from shingles because they have seen how debilitating the pain can be and they're like, no, I don't want that. So we definitely recommend a shingles vaccine to everybody 50 and older. Another common thing is um, patients ask is, do I, um, after I got shingles, should I get the vaccine? And the answer is absolutely yes, because there's still a chance of you getting a shingles the second time around. Um, so we definitely do pat- uh, recommend patients uh, to get the shingles. Usually we tell them once the rash is clear, which may be about four weeks or so, then it should be safe for them to get the the shingles vaccine, even after they got an episode of a shingles themselves. So, so the question, you know, the question I've had, I'm sorry, Dr. Perry, go ahead. That's okay. uh, the Dr. question Dr. I've always had is when you get the, uh, uh, when you get shingles, uh, we're told it's because that chicken pox virus is living on one of your nerves down in your body. Why can't we just go in and kill that chicken pox? Can't we, <laughs> isn't there something to go in there and just knock it out? I guess not. There's no, we don't have that advanced technology to do that yet. So the best that we can do is the vaccine, you know, um, so we'll take it. 
right? Right. Chicken pox is smarter than us. No, honestly, <laughs> you know, many of viruses are smarter than us, right? It's when we change the influenza vaccine every year. That's why we keep getting, you know, COVID uh, boosters because the virus will change a little bit. And uh, so the chickenpox virus has figured out how to live with us quietly until, you know, um, we do something to evoke it. And then it rears its ugly head in the form of shingles. Now, are no vaccines 100 percent, right? That's correct. So the way that uh, 99.9% of vaccines work is that we we give you a portion, a live or a killed portion of the actual disease entity, then your body makes antibodies against it. So they, it makes defenses against it. So when we come in contact with the real sickness, we have defenses against it. But sometimes we don't make enough or our defense response isn't adequate enough to fight the real, the real McCoy. And if you have been vaccinated, and you get shingles, is it less painful? Does the vaccine at least help? Like with COVID, if you've been vaccinated, Mm -hmm. you may get COVID, but it's not as serious. Same type concept. So it's you still may get it, but it's still a watered down version. You know, Dr. Belmonte mentioned earlier that, you know, we definitely can give patients the shingle vaccine after they've had shingles. Now, Dr. Belmonte, this has been my experience, and it's probably yours too. Usually if a person's had shingles, I don't have any issue having them get the vaccine after that because shingles is horrific. I just cannot say that enough. Yes, definitely. I always recommend them. And actually, interesting enough, because I think because of the pain that they've had, most patients are willing to get it. They're like, when can I get it? And yes. Because they yes. don't want to experience it again. And Perfect. Said, Stay with me. We're going to come right, we're gonna come right back to you. Hang on just a minute. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, is here, along with Dr. Cella Belmonte. We're talking about shingles, and we're going to shift gears in just a moment and talk about an issue that affects so many people. We need to talk about it. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Drew Pearson from our friends at WellMed. The right Medicare coverage is important, so is selecting the right doctor. Choosing a WellMed doctor in a Medicare Advantage plan is a great choice. With over 30 years' experience caring for older adults on Medicare, WellMed doctors practice coordinated, compassionate primary care. It's prevention with a personal touch. A WellMed doctor in Medicare Advantage coverage. Why? Because your health matters. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesman. Learn more today, 855-575-2188. so pleased you are sticking with us right here on the award-winning Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. And we're talking with Dr. Cello Belmonte. Uh, she is a physician at Wellmet at Northwest 410 in San Antonio, Texas. And we've been talking about shingles, which affects so many people age 50 and over. And there is another issue I want to switch to, which also affects literally hundreds of thousands of people and it's called urinary incontinence. And Dr. Belmonte, is everybody exempt from that or are we all at risk for incontinence? <laughs> I think we are pretty much all at risk for it. You know, More men and women or women or men? I think we see it more in women. And partly because I think of the anatomy, you know, so the most, you know, incontinence, just a quick um, um, synopsis overview of it is, you know, usually when a patient uh, present with Incontinence, we kind of ask them some questions. Is it usually when you cough, 
sneeze, laugh, or do you feel like you gotta go? Um, you have you can't control it. So the two main things are what we call the urinary uh, stress incontinence, which is more due to the anatomy, or the um, urgency incontinence, which is more like that the urge to go. And I would say the stress incontinence we see it a lot more in females because of the pelvic muscles weakening of the pelvic muscles. You know, pregnancy is a huge risk for that. So definitely for stress incontinence, we see a lot more in females. So you hear people say, boy, if I start laughing, I start leaking. <laughs> yes. So we hear a lot of that. So to go backwards, one of the things is, as, we, as I said, so the pathophysiology of that is because of the weakening of the muscles. So the main the main treatment that we try to start patients doing that is more pelvic therapy, physical therapy mm -hmm. for it. So there's actually therapy that is specific for that. And I think we've all heard about the Kegel exercises. And I yes. tell patients that, you know, we've heard of Kegels, you know, basically Kegels mean like kind of squeezing the muscles down there as if you're stopping from your, you, you stop your urinating, right? That's how you exercise. And as I tell patients, nobody will know if you're doing it, you can do it while you're sitting down, any stoplight, and whatnot, but the more that we do it, the better it will be for the stress incontinence. So I cannot and what emphasize is it doing? that enough. It, so you're strengthening tightening. the muscles, yes. So you're tightening the muscles in your pelvic area that kind of holds the bladder. I tell my patients it's like yoga or strength training just for your pelvis, right? It's making it stronger. It's like mm -hmm. you know, and and if you practice on focusing on the muscles that start and stop your urine flow, so I tell them when they go to the bathroom, start and stop your urine flow. Those muscles you use then, those are the proper muscles to use. And every time you think about it, just like Chilla said, do it. Watching TV, at a stoplight, at your granddaughter's recital, doesn't matter, nobody's <laughs> going to know. Do your Kegel exercises. I, <laughs> oh, I will say, I always remember it when I have a patient that's coming in for it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I have my Kegels. <laughs> yep. uh, and I tell all my staff, girls, you better do your Kegels right now. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And for uh, other forms of urinary incontinence uh, in, in women, I know for a period of time, there were a, a lot of women who were having bladder surgery to kind of lift the bladder uh, for reasons that I don't understand. But then again, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Is that surgery still done? Yes. Yes, we still see that. But, you know, in medicine, we always say conservative treatment first and therapy. That's why we always start with Kegel exercises um, and see how patients are. And if we feel like, okay, uh, if that's not helping. And as I said, there's even specific uh, physical therapists that do with pelvic um, retraining and whatnot. But if that doesn't work, then yes, that's when we kind of, if we know it's more stress incontinence, that's when we kind of uh, refer patients to urogynecologists and see, okay, Let's have this patient um, be um, evaluated for a bladder lift surgery. So, and what, can that what, be effective? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's effective. So, what Dr. Deb Bellamonte is talking about is um, these particular surgeries. The, the pelvic organs are kind of suspended in the, the female pelvis. They're suspended by these ligaments, and over time, they become a little bit lax, like old rubber bands. They still work. But not quite as well. And everything kind of descends down south, right? So, so you have a drooping bladder. There you go. I know. And so they, in that suspension, they tack it right back up. And what does that do? So it lifts that bladder off the bladder neck. It puts it back into the normal anatomic space that it's supposed to be in. And it allows women. Like a lift. It holds it up. I see. Yep. Yep. 
It ho- it pulls it back up to where it's supposed to be. And so it allows it to function the way that it's supposed to function. And if we can switch to men for a moment, also some who suffer from uh, urinary incontinence, especially urgency. Got to go, got to go, got to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's this. Be- oh, go ahead, Dr. Bell. No, no, so I was going to say, so for urinary, um, for urgency incontinence, so that's when we try to do a lot more medications. You know, um, I think we've all seen the commercial before for, uh, I, well, now I'm forgetting, but it's a, you got to go, you got to go, and you stop at every stop just to go, you know, like oxybutynin, tolteridine. So those are the generic medications for overactive bladder, as we call it, urge incontinence. Um, but there's actually newer medications out there too that works differently um, that, you know, we offer patients if they can't tolerate uh, those first-line medications, which has been very beneficial for patients. Um, but a lot of this, particularly for um, urge incontinence, I think we tell patients a lot of behavioral changes. And sometimes you just have to tell them, you know, try to go to the bathroom. You know, it's kind of like, training kind of like potty training with kids like well don't wait till the last minute you know if you gotta go kind of empty your bladder or if you know that you gotta go a lot at night then stop you know cut the liquid intake a lot earlier so some of the when you say behavioral training is that what you're referring to yes yes Uh uh-huh because they said you you kind of train your bladder again that you're not holding it so if you have to go every two hours on a set time so you don't have to worry about oh my gosh now i can't hold it and I can't find a restroom, then you go. So it's kind of like anticipating. So as I said, if you're going to go on a road trip, probably every rest area that there's a bathroom, you go and empty your bladder. So you don't need to worry while you're in the middle of the road looking for the next restroom. (laughs) And I've read somewhere that some people, some men and women have difficulty emptying their bladder, that they don't really empty it. Is that something you can train yourself to do? I think for that one, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, uh, that's that's more of like urinary retention. So so in that note, actually, that's more, I would say that's more of a problem in male because of the prostate. So we see that a lot more um, in males because of the enlarged prostate. And that's, an, again, it's an anatomical issue. Um, you know, as males get o- older, the prostate can get enlarged and affect the bladder. And then there's more risk for urinary retention. So that one is kind of tougher, more challenging. Um, to treat, I think, in behavioral ways. And anatomically, uh, in in males, the uh, the urethra, the little drainage tube runs through the prostate. Right. And as the prostate gets bigger, it squeezes that drainage tube closer to close. It makes it difficult for you may have this sensation, but when you get to the bathroom, it may be just a little drip or nothing may come out. Which can become painful over time. Painful, problematic. It may require catheterization or may, or processes to make the prostate smaller. Why do I wince when you say catheterization? <laughs> Nobody likes it. I was it. trying to avoid the word. <laughs> Are there ways to uh, pre-diagnose that someone may have an issue with urinary incontinence so that they can uh, get in front of it? Are there ways we can change the way we eat? what we drink, uh, how we act? That's a great question. So a lot of times incontinence is the diagnosis of history. The patient comes to us with a complaint and then we kind of stratify the patient from there. Man, woman, postmenopausal, not postmenopausal, prostate issues, no prostate issues. Most certainly with a man, 
We can do certain screening exams. We can do exams to fill the prostate, to check certain blood levels. With a lady, you know, if they're having other issues, we may be able to do like a pelvic ultrasound. These are not routine screening exams. Once again, this is um, with the exact exception of the prostate um, digital rectal exam. These are the patient coming to us, which I know I sound like a broken record, but once again, it's important for you to see your PCP. (laughs) So these issues can be discussed. And when you don't see your PCP, they don't get better over time. No. No. Dr. Google can only help so much, right? Only help so much. (laughs) Yep. Unlike wine, time doesn't help it, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. Now, as you think about the numbers of people who struggle uh, with urinary incontinence or urgency, uh, is it age-related? Age most certainly plays a factor. Um, like Dr. Uh, Bellamonte was alluding to earlier, over time, that woman's pelvic organs start to descend. And over time, the man's prostate gets bigger. These are, these are big factors in any urinary issues for the girl or boy population. When Dr. You agree, Bel- Dr. Belmonte, Tell before we've we got about 20 seconds, uh, if you are concerned about any of these issues, follow Dr. Perry's advice. Go see your PCP. Yes. Definitely. And actually, that's, I think one of the questions we always ask uh, incontinence issues is one of the screening questions that we always ask all of our patients because we try to intervene. And, you know, uh, as you said, you know, especially with male to urinary retention, not just the catheter issue, but it can start affecting your kidneys. So as Dr. Perry said, it can be very problematic. So we kind of want to be in there right at the get go and see what we can do. From the beginning, kind of like Perfect. same with, as I said, stress incontinence, right? I mean, if we got to stop you, I'm sorry, I got to stop you right there. Oh. We are flat out of time. Don't mean to cut you off, but the clock is ticking. Thank you so much, Dr. Cello Belmonte at Wellman at Northwest 410 in San Antonio. And for our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on the award-winning Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Natalie Ibarra. And associate producer is Isaac Wilker. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.